The episode here is a special Q&A session with Evan Grasick and Bob Bell from Woodfin. This is a follow-up to the webinar that they did the other day. You can find the full webinar recording in the episode just preceding this. You might want to listen to the webinar before you listen to the Q&A. Either way, thank you for listening. If there's anything you want to learn about Kinexus, you can go to our website at www.kinexus.com. Com. That's K-A-I-N-E-X-U-S dot com. Hi, everybody. Mark Raven from Kinexus here. We've got time today to do a little bonus Q&A following up uh, the webinar that Evan Grasick and Bob Bell presented recently. You can find that hour-long video either just previous in the podcast feed, or you can also find it uh, on the YouTube channel, and I will link to the full webinar session in um, the show notes. Um, so the first, we've got three questions we're gonna to touch on here today. The first um, that was, was submitted during the webinar is, how do you ensure that leaders don't focus solely on bottom line savings? That's like the ultimate question of continuous improvement. Um, <laughs> so I would say one of the things we get into with small improvements is trying to uh, help them understand how they compound. And so one of the things we constantly talk about is if I can save 30 minutes a week, if I can find some activities in my teams that can save 30 minutes a week, then that builds on itself. In a year, you'll have 26 hours of time that you can use to be productive if you not have um, We do not focus a great deal on ROI, and I'm a finance guy by nature, and that's one of those things that we intentionally did up front. Um, we stayed away from it. And I think the simplest way I would say it, if I was talking to a manager, would you want 12 people who actually are punching the clock and doing what you tell them? Or would you want 12 people that are constantly trying to find better ways to do things and are focused on customer experience as well as benefiting themselves in the company? And I, it's hard to put a value on that. That's not a, a great financial value of that. And it's hard to measure the impact that that has on a business. But I, th I think we're believers that if you actually give people the tools and are patient, because everybody has a different learning cycle, everybody has a different background experience, um, that it will pay off in the long run um, in customer experience and all these things that are very hard to measure. Um, and to one other side note I'll say to that is in trying to attach an ROI, the amount of time spent trying to formulate that versus moving on to more improvement is also one of those things that we're considering when we do this. A lot of the operator's biggest objection is the time investment of their people. I mean, you know, this should be doing it. If we added ROI modules and having people calculate those things, that would also add a tremendous amount of time to literally the time they're spending doing the administrative function of continuous improvement versus focusing on continuous improvement. So Evan, I, I, do you have anything you would add to that? Yeah, I mean, every everything you just said, I totally agree with. It's it's a constant conversation that we have with managers, you know, especially when things get a little bit tighter, when things get busy, and we we don't have a lot of extra capacity within our team. Um, so we we give ample uh, preparation, you know, ample notice of of the expectations that are set within the idea network, and that's you know dedicating time each week to a meeting and then carrying out action items. Uh, 
So, you know, just having that manager involved from the start and keeping that open line of communication with them is really our, our strategy right now. Um, but as Bob said, you know, once we start to develop those ROI, ROI metrics and get a little bit more comfortable with the problem solving process, we can start to really justify it to the managers through numbers. I think that'll, uh, that'll paint a really good picture. That'll help a lot. But like Bob said, we've really been trying to focus on just training out the, the process so we can get comfortable with it. Um, and then in the next couple of years, you know, this year starting, we're going to be focusing more on the quality of the, uh, of the items that we work. And we, and we did focus on time savings. I would say if there's a metric we use, I mean, it's not something that you can look at and say, oh, they saved 3.6 hours a week mm -hmm. doing this. But we right. do try to get people to be cognizant of the fact that the way you can break even on time is to get time savings items that uh, will help your team actually do things faster. And that way, the time you're investing actually comes back. Right. Yeah, one side at 3M, I, I think back in the, wasn't that the 70s that they spent 5% of their employee time was bent to come up with creative ideas, actually innovation more so than improvement. Mm -hmm. um, and with this, uh, we talked about an hour and a half out of 40 hours, you know, 3.3%. So we got 1.6 left, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the problem is, let's say a cost cutter then comes in and says, well, I'm going to eliminate that discretionary time. But then, well, what, what's the cost? What's the loss of, of not doing that? Some of these things are not as straightforward as a simple return on investment calculation, like money earning interest back when money would earn interest um, in the bank. Or if we try to put everything in the dollar terms, let's say a hospital or a health system um, reduces patient waiting time by 20 minutes. What's that worth? Was it, is that a good thing to do? Probably. I mean, so some of these things are not directly related. Someone might say, well, if the patients are happier, they're less likely to leave our practice. But that's different than a simple ROI calculation, I think. Yeah. Well, and you have quality aspects to it as well, the customer experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things that can, can benefit this. I, I will say, when we first started talking, and this is an ongoing battle. I mean, it, it, you're constantly trying to improve and improve and get mindsets improving and doing things. But if executed properly, and you really do have an uh, uh, environment where everybody's participating and coming up with ways to make their lives better and the customer experience better. I mean, what's the value of less turnover, mm -hmm. right? Because people mm -hmm. actually appreciate, they, re they feel like they're appreciated in their job, yeah. right? I mean, there's a lot of things that come along positively with this that you really just can't easily slap a number on and say that's yeah. that. Well, there, there's that. one hospital CEO that we had quoted in our book, Healthcare Kaizen, who said, the only ROI I'm ever looking at adding up is reducing voluntary turnover. Right. That's, that is a simple number. And the cost of replacing and rehiring can be estimated. And so if you're cutting that from average for the healthcare industry to something, uh, you know, if you were dramatically better, you know, the CEO, I think I'm, par I'm paraphrasing, he said, that's ROI enough. The rest of it is it's not even worth trying to calculate. We know it's just the right thing. And I, I think it's funny on the flip side, nobody ever asked, well, what's the ROI of not engaging people? Like right. why, why, why is it we have to prove the ROI for something that's different than what might be the default? Well, I think I might have mentioned before there was a CEO question, what if we train our people and they leave us? And his question was, what if we don't train them and they stay? 
right? Yeah. I mean, it's legit. Um, but I, I just think there's there's too far too much positive uh, potential outcome. We're mm-hmm. new. So to be honest, with turnover calculations, that's tough because we've changed the environment. Mm-hmm. So when you're a year and a half, two years in, people you're, people are still adjusting to the change of now being part of something where they have to do different tasks. So, right. and even early on, it's hard to measure that because you is it the change? Is it I mean, long term will it be better? Right. It's, it's difficult. And that's turnover true. is affected by external factors like the economy or a pandemic. Right. And it's uh, that's not even... Exactly, yeah. COVID did not help either, exactly. I mean, it, it kind of relates back to the small ideas. And really what focusing on small ideas allows us to do is, is, is you know, there, usually when we implement those solutions, the, the impact of it is pretty obvious. You know, people know what they're stepping over every day and then they know what they no longer have to. So... Um, the, the most important thing to me would be that the individual that's sustaining these changes, that's that's leading these improvements is seeing that the payoff of their work. Uh, we mentioned a win-win-win, you know, the customer wins, the employee wins, and then the company wins. Um, to me, you know, we're about sustaining. We're, we're rolling this out, training people how to do it, um, but we need them to, to buy into it internally. So if they can see their wins, which small problems allow them to do a lot of it easier, uh, then, you know, it, the ROI kind of comes falls by the wayside a little bit. Uh, like I will, one of, it's a constant conversation. Yeah, and then one other thing, sorry, this is a rich topic, by the way. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is that, um, and we've worked at this and, and still don't have it 100% in place and we're still working through it, but one of the things I do think you can do versus ROI is productivity measures, like what are you really trying to achieve? And Alan used to talk about a single metric. So if it's, if it's inside of the you know sheet metal fabrication, how many pounds of metal per hour worked can we actually produce? Um, sometimes those metrics are more uh, more solid in understanding whether I'm getting better or worse. Uh, productivity as a unit of what you're trying to do divided by man hours or woman hours is pretty much how I would actually say if I'm going to go with a metric, I would lean towards that. Hmm. using a true productivity measure versus a dollar savings dollar it's just it's much more efficient to get an answer to where you are mm-hmm. and there are outside things that will affect that as well so it's like i said it's not there's no easy math yeah. <laughs> as a finance guy that's one thing <laughs> i think you come up with something but it's it's uh it's tough all right. So another question comes in, um, you know, in the context, you talk about local teams working on improvement. Uh, but the question asks, um, what do you do to escalate problems that cannot be solved within the team itself? And maybe I'll add a secondary add on to that. Well, you know, how often is that really the case? So I guess uh, the first thing that we tried to, to do with that when thinking about it was, you know, try to outline some parameters for the, the capabilities of an idea team. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, if it goes against the company policy in any way, if, if the improvement that they're coming up with goes against that policy, uh, that would be need, that would be means to escalate. Um, secondly, if it exceeds the budget uh, set forth for the team, which for us is, is typically around $100, um, and the team would need some approval to, to get that solution in place. Um, so the escalation that I mentioned is actually a procedure that we've built out. 
um, Bob and some of our executives actually worked hard to build the escalation path out early on for this exact uh, issue. Um, and basically how that works is once uh, you know, a problem, an item exceeds the capacity, the capabilities of the idea team for the reasons we just mentioned, it gets escalated to their direct manager. Um, that manager then has to review the suggestion, the, the solution suggested by the idea team. Um, if, he, if they like it, then they approve it um, and they make it happen. They send it back to the team and they implement. If they don't like it, then they can't say no. They can't, they can't deny it. They have to put their notes on it, explain what their thinking is, why it's not the best solution, and they escalate it to their manager. All right? So it goes manager to manager one step at a time only if they don't approve it until it gets to the highest level, which is the executive team. Our president of the company sits in there, lots of executives sit in there, and they make that final decision to say, you know, this group has put a lot of time and work into this item. Uh, they really want it, and they've made the notes of all the benefits that they're going to get from it. Um, but here's all the notes from the managers that have reviewed it up until this point. So why don't they like it? Um, so you asked about frequency, you know, how often does that happen? You know, the more the more teams that we have on board, the more uh, comfortable that these teams get with the problem-solving process, uh, the more complex that their problems are getting to solve. You know, we, we mentioned small problems. We're still on small problems, but we're starting to get past those lowest hanging fruits onto the, the next level, uh, a little bit higher. So some of them are uh, exceeding budgets or, or going against policy because teams are figuring out that you can actually do that. They have that power to ask those questions. Um, now, once it gets up to executive team, you know, I, I will say not all of our escalations get up there. I would say most of them don't get up to executive team because our managers in place are there to help. Um, and usually if they say no or if they don't like it, you know, they, they might even be able to talk with the team to, to, to alter the idea a little bit to make something work. Um, but by no means are we giving anybody an opportunity to just say no and squash it right there. Uh, that's something that we are really... Uh, passionate about early on, and we want to maintain. Bob, uh, I know you've got something to add to that. Well, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, if solutionism has an example, it's during the escalation process where somebody will get hung up on a solution necessarily. And so one of the things we focus on is understanding what the root cause of the problem is, and then you basically will provide your best solution and one thing about the escalation process that's a little different from that is it should go up and down the ladder. So they call it kind of staff work, putting together a business case for why I want to spend this money or why we want to change the policy on something. And so by nature, a team would take it to their manager. Their manager would hopefully give them feedback um, and say, I see what you're trying to do here. They might have additional information that the team does not have that says, hey, have you thought about this? and feed it back. But we try to get people to kind of stay on the problem and trying to come up with the best solution as it escalates, not necessarily a, you know, deny or approve, but more of a, hey, work with the team. Don't just send it up. Um, if, the, if you get something from your team, circle back with them, ask questions. You might want them to flesh something out a little bit better. There's always the, the worry about that becoming a big spiral where I can kind of scuttle it. And so we do some things now with reporting where we're trying to track how long something sits in escalation. That's where Kinexus is going to help us a lot with escalation, um, is having visibility to everyone 
that, hey, we have an item that's been escalated for three months and it just keeps going around in a circle. Um, that's where technology can really help you with that. But yeah, the whole series, it, hopefully it's more of a up, down, up, down, kind of moving through where you're getting better information, coming up with better ideas, better solutions potentially to it by churning it through the process. And I think you ended up answering, unless there's anything else you want to add, that other question that had come in was what happens when um, management doesn't agree with an idea and it doesn't move forward? And anything else you would add kind of on that point? I, I think the, do they agree there's a problem? <laughs> um, it's not always uh, the solution you're weighing. It's do I actually have a legitimate issue? And if so, we need to deal with it. Um, so the answer that was provided, the potential solution that was provided may not be, you know, something that we can or can't do. We had one, I'll just tell you a story about it, um, where somebody wanted to put a car wash in because the problem was customers come in asking where the car washes are. And, um, it's just, we spend a lot of time trying to explain stuff to people and why don't we just put a car wash in? Mm -hmm. Well, the honesty of it was there's not room in the lot <laughs> to actually put a car wash in. And uh, it takes a little bit of room to stick the car wash a lot. And so instead of saying, no, bad idea, we said, well, let's go back to the problem that you were really experiencing. So the problem is that you have customers that come in that are looking for a car wash. What if we just made some flyers up that basically had directions to the closest three car washes and just provided that to a customer when they asked the question? Would that be providing better customer service, keeping you from having to take you know, five minutes to explain something? And is that a solution? And so we came up with a solution to it. So I guess always circle back to the problem. Is it truly a problem? I mean, that's not a ground shaking problem. That's just a customer service. I don't wanna spend five minutes every time somebody asks. So win-win, right? Um, so, you know, always focus back on the problem. And there's one thing as a continuous improvement uh, person that uh, I guess I'm newly, I can say I'm that now. The solutionism aspect of things causes a lot of issues where people get hung up on the solution and don't go back to that problem and say, okay, well, let's, knowing what we know now, let's look back at the problem and see what we can do moving And And it keeps people motivated because if you put an idea out there, this is what we should do, somebody just may not agree with it. They may not even vote on it to actually bring it down. But if you put it out as a problem and then work through it together, I think it's just a more effective way to attack um, improvement and especially with small improvement. Yeah. So, so maybe it's a bad idea. There's always a is it a legitimate problem or not? That's I guess that's the sorry about that. Well so I was just gonna ask me you know my own personal follow-up question. When you talk about the idea of well which is the best solution at what point do you have to go and just try things? Like if there's two possibilities, go test them both and see in practice which you're going to move forward with. That's big. Um, that's root cause analysis. A lot of times when we get into problem solving, when we peel back the, the, the root causes of a problem, we have multiple potential causes to test out. Um, we can't rule them all out right off the bat. So we, we have to go try them out. Um, so that comes with some training. That's kind of that next level of problem solving that we're getting. But you're right. Eventually, teams just have to take something and run with it. 
Um, so that's something we try to cover in the training to prepare them for that. You know, just because you come up with a solution doesn't mean it's going to be the best one mm-hmm. and doesn't mean it's going to solve the, the problem that you're dealing with. Um, that's that's just the, the nature of root cause analysis. We try to make it as effective and efficient as possible, but we don't always have those answers. Right. Um, so, you know, we encourage teams to try crazy things, try new things. We're still in the learning phase. We're still trying to figure this whole thing out and get used to it. So please try, try new things. Anything is a good idea. All ideas are good ideas and we can evolve on it. So that's, that's kind of a good thing that we can spin it uh, in our training because you can't really fail as long as you're kind of following those three basic expectations of making an effort, trying to reach the best solution. You're, you're doing right by the idea network. As we get into more of these financial things, as more quality things, you know, that's going to come into play as well. But early on, I think we just focus on getting people comfortable and getting people more experienced in problem solving as a whole. Yeah. And there's, Two pieces that I'll just real quick. Uh, one, sometimes it is multiple problems and multiple root causes, and we actually ask those to break them up and put them back on the board as individuals <laughs> so that they can address them separately. Um, because uh, trying to do everything at once, that's where you get into big odd problems that take very extended periods of time. So it's the one thing I will say also that uh, if you use Kinexus, another shout out, but I guess there's a follow-up. Um, the date that you can put on an OFI. So what we do tell people is if you're just testing this to see if it works and that you're, it's not, you, you know, it's maybe not the answer. We do ask them to set a follow-up date on that OFI when they complete it so that they actually, OFI is opportunity for improvement for us. But uh, they, they, we actually, they actually put follow-up dates on that and that kind of triggers a reminder to say, hey, did this really work or did this not work? So I would say if, you, if it's one of those things, it's like the old, uh, when we did, used to do the uh, DCFs and then never looked at them again, right? We bought something, never went back and looked at what our assumptions were. Mm-hmm. What's um, a DCF? Just kind of cash flow. Of we're going to buy something, so this is what it's going to produce. And you do it when you're buying something, but then you never come back and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was kind of the improvement version of that, where, hey, we got an answer, but I'm not going to check to see if it works. We're just going to keep going. So yeah. that was one of those things that is helpful. So a discounted cash flow was a hypothesis, and it's great if you never go back and check. Exactly. But you don't know where you broke if you don't go back and check and see what you thought you were going to be doing. Yeah. And and some of this might be semantics, but I think it helps illustrate the thought process, um, you know, that maybe we can call something a potential solution until we go and try it in practice and see if it was good or not. Some people don't like to say solution, but what? You know, it's, I think the mindset matters. Then, you know, I think one other thing when it comes back to causes, one of the most powerful things I've learned from former Toyota people who had mentored me, like think of a scenario where you ask somebody, somebody says, they announced, we found the root cause. I'm like, well, how do you know it's the root cause? Well, we talked about it and we decided that was the root cause. And right. people just listening on the podcast can't see Evan and Bob laughing or chuckling. Like at best you have a, suspected root cause until you can go and test some things and see, do we really understand cause and effect? And I think a lot of, uh, Alan used to say, if you're not in a human error, <laughs> yeah. more than likely you may not be at root cause, right? That's one keep, of his uh, go-tos. Keep asking why. Right, right. And, and to, to bring back Bob's earlier point, 
you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve? A lot of times what we're seeing teams run with action items and they put a solution in place and it solves a problem, but it's not the, the problem that they started with. So they're, they're doing good work, but we need to make sure that we're sticking to the what we're trying to solve here. Um, so just always ask that question. What's the problem we're trying to solve? Do we need to break this up? That's been huge. We do actually ask them when they're reviewing action items to read the OFI first, just to make sure that, yeah. hey, everything I'm doing actually matches back to what started this whole exercise. So. Yeah. Great tips, great reminders. So um, wanna thank um, Evan Grasick and Bob Bell, not just for doing the Q&A today, but for doing the webinar about the power of small improvements. I'm uh, paraphrasing what the title had been, but that's not a bad summary of it, I hope. Exactly. Small improvements. All right, so yeah. thank, you, thank you both for being here. Thank you everyone for watching and, and listening. And if you didn't check out the original webinar yet, again, look in the show notes or the YouTube description and you'll find a link to that. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Thank you.